on this episode of AV Week, how 4K and 8K displays are driving distribution, experience in the AV industry, and the place of interactivity in digital signage. All that and more next on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week, episode 411, recorded Friday, July 5th, 2019. Experiential Expectations. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Extron, industry-leading technology backed by world-class support. And by Vadio, a leading manufacturer of professional PTZ cameras, pro-AV solutions, and UCC integration systems. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host with us to discuss the news and information we have gathered this week. First and foremost, Ms. Lainey Materis from uh, Sapphire Marketing. Welcome, ma'am. Hello, hello. Awesome. How's everybody doing? Good, good, very good, very good. Uh, it's it's technically we're recording this on Friday the fifth, so I appreciate uh, my two American friends for for at least you know uh, doing work on what can be sometimes a weird four day weekend, sometimes not. Uh, the other American is Mr. George Tucker. Uh, yeah, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, thank you very much. Good to see you guys. Uh, and I mentioned my two American friends because we actually have a uh, European uh, UK friend on us, uh, Mr. Clive Caldwell from AV Magazine. Welcome, sir. Good afternoon from sunny Croydon. Uh, I don't, I've no idea what I am at the moment, but um, you know it's Friday afternoon and we're all on our last legs. But it's absolute joy to be with you. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> one of my one of my favorite um, uh, big dumb American memes from yesterday was uh, a meme of George Washington telling all of the uh, English his English friends to enjoy working on the fourth because you know there's <laughs> nothing to anybody else except for us big dumb Americans so alright well so, could, I, could I just stop you there I, don't, I can't let that go away right. I'm going to really screw up your timing now just say that who's speaking the same language so we always say <laughs> no they didn't win the war because they're speaking English and that's where I, why I choose to leave it thank you very much that you 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 your point well made point well made although I would argue that most that a lot of a lot of us don't speak it well. So, <laughs> so, Samuel Clemens had to say we're uh, we're uh, two people separated by the common language. That's right. Yes, indeed. They're still up well. We, we are in Croydon. <laughs> I, I yeah, I'll let you handle that. Um, all right, our first story comes to us from uh, AV Network and, and the friends over at uh, SCN. Uh, over 233 million, 233 million 4K TVs are to be shipped by uh, 2024 uh, with 8K on the horizon. This is a, a report out of, uh, from AVI Research. Uh, quote, unquote, flat panel TV makers, including Samsung, Sony, LG, and TCL, announced the introduction of 8 flat panel TV models that are priced between uh, 5,000 US and 70,000 depending on the, on the display size. This all while uh, they are ramping up production and shipping of 4K TVs. Mr. Tucker, I'm going to start with you on this. We have, you and I have had conversations for the last eight years when it comes to resolutions and, you know, more, more pixels is great, more resolutions is great. But where is the content, right? And that's been one of the, the constant uh, conversations you and I keep having. So, as the eight, the rise of 8K continues to, to um, uh, become a reality, and these manufacturers are pushing 4K, um, you know, from from a, a, a shipping and a marketing standpoint, 
where are we when it comes to getting these signals? And I don't care if you want to talk about 8K or 4K here, because I would, I would argue that we're still in a, um, a, 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 a deficit of content and transport, at least you know, uh, a stable transport when it comes to you know, 4K and 8K both. So where are we? Well, you know, I, I, would, I would love to say that the reports are good, but I don't know if they really can truly be considered the content is good. Look, from a, so from a digital signage or a commercial installation side, the argument has always been 8K or 4K. Does it matter until you're really close up? You know, as we, you said, more resolutions, always better. You have more to play with. You have more headroom. So there's stuff you can do that can make the final image or presentation look better because you have that bandwidth or overhead. But I still don't see a lot out there from the fact that we don't have a lot of content that can be delivered. A lot of these networks, especially on digital signage uh, from, from my uh, side of the world, it, you don't have the, the networks or the backbone that I can deliver that content remotely. Right? So if I'm dealing with digital signages and it's at 4K and I need to update that stuff, I still don't have a lot of infrastructure that can let me stream that content effectively. I mean, how many gigabits per second do you need 4K or 8K? Right? I mean, 8K is... Well, 4K is... is it's out there and a half so 8k and i'm just doing quick math here 32 35 i think it's something in that range yeah and that's for a per unit issue so you know multiply that on your network and the bandwidth usage needed and that's where we're going because you know what 4k is great if we were still in the era of john siaka and his love of his uh streaming uh, optical media and i think that's the very first time i've ever said his name right on air so i'm uh, thank you um don't tell me i said it wrong because it'll depress me to no end but if you had your disk and you had your physical media, it's right there. You have your HDMI, you can do it. But we're not in that anymore. Everything is IT. Everything is going over the network. And if I can't get that bandwidth on a decent resolution without cutting it down to 411 or something silly like that, what use of it is it to me? Even in home, I'm going to be streaming that, that content anyway. I'm not really going to have a physical disk. So yay for 8K, but it doesn't matter unless I'm close up. And I really don't want to pay someone to go have to load material onto a thousand different signage areas just because I want that that resolution it's going to be good enough and where am I going to go with that and I don't have any content to do anyway what do I have stuff from the uh, Japan Olympics I mean where, where am I going to get 8k content or even 4k content at this point yeah uh Lainey, same kind of question where are we when it comes to you know like George said content and also delivery um uh, Obviously, we've got display because these are the folks right. that are driving that. It, from my perspective, there might be some content creators out there that are pushing. And, and the, the 2020 Olympics, George mentions um, the fact that, that NRK is, is pushing that. NRK is the national uh, broadcaster for Japan. 2020 Olympics are in Japan. They're, they're pushing the AK content right. for that. But beyond those folks, you know, where are we when it comes to you know, getting the content and, right. and making this a reality? I think I agree with George. I don't, I don't see the content, but you know, if you think about 4k and where we came from, you know, 1080p and then we went to 4k and now everybody says, okay, 8k is the next, next big thing. But if price was equal, right? How many end users are actually asking for 8k? Not many end users at all. So you know, the consumer market may uh, drive, you know, the 8K displays being out there, but I don't see 8K being something that's going to be scalable immediately um, from a price point standpoint and from a bandwidth standpoint. Like George said, we, we have to plan for new encoders, new decoders. Um, so I'd like to see content catch up 
and I'd like to see the price of AK come down. I, where I see AK working out um, is in interactive displays because I think the larger the interactive displays get, the closer you're going to be to the content on those displays. And I think AK would be something um, that would make that content pop. So that's yeah. my thought. That's a really good. That's a really good point, uh, Clive. When it comes to both George and, and Laney uh, mentioned this, when it comes to the resolution, one of the things that is a concern is the bandwidth. Um, not for nothing, but there are already uh, existing wars that go on every single trade show. Uh, folks mm-hmm. who are, that their version of AV over IP, and I'm not going to get into that right now, but but their version of AV over is the best, right? And and they're using 4K a lot of times as kind of that that marker. Uh, because they can do some, you know, they can do 4K here. That, but now we're talking about 8K. Is is that push going to make that that argument null and void because none of them can do 8K yet, or is it going to push the manufacturers to do something better, faster, stronger, more quickly because you know folks are or might be asking for 8K? Well. Uh- you know, you have to turn it back a bit, really. It's nothing to do with any of that. The manufacturer will go on developing the latest bells and whistles regardless of what the market wants or is able to supply. We're talking about 8K since 2014. All I care about, really, and distribution should have been whacked by now. We should be in a better position to distribute large volumes of data wherever we are. And it's taken us years to really get to the point. We always come out with these arguments. As an end user, I want to see the best image in front of me. I'm very happy with a um, a high, um, a high dynamic uh, rate 4K screen. Thank you very much. I want to see the best I can of that content, and an 8K will give me a, a wonderfully clear image and an incredibly immersive experience on a huge television. And then, you know, that's what I want to see. Now, I, I, I then have to take back and say, well, look, I'd like to have that stream. Thank you. If I want, if I'm then going to watching huge films on my home home television or making big you know, demonstrations in, in their corporate or, or de- event environment, this is what I want to do. And why can't this, this network supply for me? Do I have to create something that's customized? So I, I don't think we should be talking about general networks. I think you, you saw with Panasonic, it was creating at a camera IC with its own screen and God as what else, the selling what was a mini ecosystem. For you to create your own content and put it on their own kit and, and present it in your own environment, it was doing it to a retail audience. It, it's it's coming from a different viewpoint. I, I don't see why we are always having these con- these conversations about distribution difficulties or whatever it is down that bandwidth pipe. You know, we should have cracked it by now. I'm I'm, I'm talking probably to someone is oversimplifying the problem, but we always have this difficulty, don't we? We, we should have got it cracked by now. But but yeah, and yeah, we had, we don't, <laughs> and that's the thing. There's no. not, well, this no. is a fault with industry, isn't it? You know, is it in his interest to do it? Because it's not in his interest to keep saying we've got this, that, and the other, there's no one buying it. You know, it's very expensive. I know for a fact, having gone out to the International Olympic Committee and seen what they're doing, NHK and BBC being one for 2012 Olympic, they are trying to film their stock in the highest possible resolution because they realise that their earlier stock, compared to some of the early turn-of-the-century video, early, early century film-produced stuff, which is very, very high quality, wasn't up to up to the range, and they decided a couple of years ago to be the highest possible quality. That was 8K. I think they probably will be, be shooting up higher, probably to put it in into their vault, so that when a, a medium is then is then available for it to be played decently on television or other other medium, it will be there for it to be 
sold, so it's building up its stock quite nicely. I was over there, and it was a Lausanne, I think it was, and we were talking through all this, and it's, it was there for a, and that, that's just the other side of it. So I think people are, are using it, but they're stuffing it away, you know. Um, there is content, but it's not in, on general release, but it will, what's going to drive it is the streaming pressures, probably. You know, people are going to have to rethink their networks and how to disseminate information, generally speaking. So why are we still having distribution problems? So these are, you create a bigger pipe, you know, what's, what's the problem? We're doing for cable and other, other means, you know. You know, when I, was doing satellite, when I was doing satellite television, we were distributing in 1990, we had our own transponders, we launched our satellite from Cape Canaveral, and we were doing television programs and distributing big data, financial data, to banks through transponders. And that was a massive amount of information. Now, we could do it then. Why the hell can't we do it now? Mm -hmm. But it's not like you can just order a bigger internet or a bigger network <laughs> off the show. Well, that was the equivalent of internet then, you know. Well, well yeah, isn't part of the problem that we're going with good enough at this point? Our networks Absolutely. are often good enough because that's a budgetary concern. What is one of the first things that seems to go in the design of a building from the ground up or even a multi-dwelling unit that's being you know, re renovated for luxury? Certain things go away very quickly. You know, is it a DMARC for all the fiber coming in? Well, that's too expensive. We're going to run it this way. You know, and DMARCs are not expensive, but I've watched it happen. So on a simple terms, you're doing a good, a good enough network that's not going to be ready for this new technology, and that's going to push it back because that's what we're depending upon now. I don't think anyone ever saw that coming when 10, 15 years ago we thought, we're going to put these networks in and there'll be something greater and cheaper. And it's not, maybe it's greater, but it's not cheaper. And nobody wants to spend the money. I think that's part of the, why am I spending so much for cat, category six cable or category whatever they think it is? when they're okay to buy $70,000 displays, but they don't think about the infrastructure and they just want to go yeah. with the minimum they can buy. And I've seen it too many times in both commercial and residential install stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Clive corrected me. I, I said NRK was, was the- NHK. Broadcast, it's NHK for, for Japan. <laughs> NRK is actually the national broadcaster for Nor Norway. And don't ask me why I know that. Um, <laughs> our next story comes from commercial integrator uh, and Julian, um, I just lost his name, Julian Phillips. Uh, uh, Julian is a board member of, of Avixa, writes about the kind of, of the name change from Infocom, the, the organization, to Avixa a couple of years ago. Uh, Avixa, the Audiovisual Experience Association. One thing that he writes, and, and it was, it's an interesting question, and actually I'm just going to ask kind of what he asked in there to each of you. He said, the quote unquote, we, we talk boldly about experience and the role that this amazing community plays in creating compelling and engaging experiences in all shapes of business and walks of life. He then goes on to say, are we really kind of taking a VIXA at, at their challenge of being an experience community, being an experience industry? Lainey, I'll start with you on this. Uh, are we as an industry taking them up, taking Avixa up on that challenge of being experienced creators? I think some people are, and I think some people aren't. I think, um, you know, if you walked around Infocom's show, show floor, I saw a lot of black boxes. I saw a lot of black, uh, a lot of LED product. I just saw product. I saw less about an experience, like walking into an immersive environment, um, you know, the classroom of the future or the conference room of the future or the huddle room of the future. Um, so I think from that aspect, from the end user perspective, I, 
if I was an end user walking around, I saw very little experience for my kind of, you know, work, workforce, whether it's a classroom or a corporation. Um, I think integration firms are still not selling the experience level. I think there's some, um, you know, like the Diversifies and the Whitlocks and the EVISPLs. I think they're, they're doing a good job building experiences, but I think um, some of the, the, the middlemen, the, the smaller, medium-sized integrators, or might not be pitching the experiences that well, and I think we're losing out on that. Um, I think we're losing out on that. So, no, I don't think we're doing uh, a best job, according to Avixa, of building experiences for our clients. Mm-hmm. Clive, you were with me uh, in, in Fairfax when, uh, when they made the announcement to the press and then later on today to the, the rest of the industry. From that, yeah. that, that Dave uh, Labuskas put together and also um, um, a couple other folks spoke that day, do you think that, that we've, we've kind of risen to that challenge in the last year and a half? No. Uh, just by saying it doesn't make it happen, of course. Yes. I, I'm, <laughs> it must seem I'm in some sort of controversial mood today. I'm not, not because I'm in Croyd neither. Um, <laughs> but um, no, it's a tough one. Uh, the, the main reason is they, people need help, you know. Funny to say, timing-wise, we've had a lot of events uh, from the AV Awards. We've had a lot of people entering over events we don't normally do, and a lot of, the, a lot of them have been creating experience type of effects around what they've been doing. That's, that's really been increased, and that's been quite noticeable. I, I feel quite sorry for this, and I can see it from a Vixx's point of view, but I can also see it from Innis's point of view. Maybe by saying that people need help. There needs to be this in-between point which, which acts as a, as a guide to helping the industry deliver these experiences that are currently really only being created by, at vast expense by the big creative agencies. And look, listening to uh, Mary at ESI Designer Tide, she went some way towards helping people think about how they could do that and, and, art, and articulated it, I think, quite well. They're just sort of sitting down and, and starting to evaluate where your skills are, what your traditional approaches have been, and what resources you need to do. It takes a different mindset to get yourself into that mode of delivering what you would call an experience. And I think the integrated community, even though it does what it does well, I think this is a new market for them. They are, I, I think, incidentally, going through their own changes, regardless of experience, which they have to sort out themselves. That's got nothing to do with Vixer. Yeah. You know, they're having to cope with a market that's changing very rapidly. They're trying to go global and, and, and change their business models. They're, they're looking to refinance themselves and, and rethink how they present themselves on, on the various stages they're operating in. Um, but as far as experience is concerned, I mean, Evixa needs to do, in my view, two things, and I hate to be controversial, but I will be doing, is it needs to sit out and promote the industry more about what it's doing because we need, we need the right skills in. If we're going to create experience, we need a much broader set of skills to come in and help us produce those. And they are currently not appearing, and we have a major problem on our hands. We can't just magic these things out of the air. You've also got to examine your existing business model, how geared up it is to produce this stuff and deliver it effectively, and what relationship you have with the customers. Uh, so those are two big things I see potentially as, as difficulties. But it, it was good for, for Victor to say that. It needed to. Uh, it also needs to, I, I think, probably engage new generations. Because over here, you know, we've got a problem with the younger generation not knowing what AV is, let alone how to create an experience. They're going into, I went down to Bournemouth University, you know, and they put, they've got a massive computer animation division, which is partly AV, and they supply probably a quarter of Hollywood with all its animation people. And they are not 
in, I, I would say, connecting with the traditional role of AB. They call it creative engineering. So that they're producing these various people and not thinking, oh, I must get a job and go into the AB industry and join some of these integrators or other companies to produce this stuff. And that, that is the great talent you sort of need to bring in and, and work because they are, they are thinking of engineering, but they're also thinking of the artistic side of, of the tools and, and creativity that you need to blend the two together to create what I would call an experience. Although, depending on what you say, anybody opening a product and putting it on a wall is an experience. You know, it depends how you define what it is. Well, and, and George, actually, it, Clive just kind of you know made made a, a reference to one of your favorite people to bang uh, or, or you know business models to beat up on, and that's the hanging banks, right? Mm-hmm. And this is not the experience, mm-hmm. not just going in and throwing up a display and going, ta-da! You know, you you have it. How do we do this? Well, I mean, back to the question for a minute of are we experiential? I mean, we what AV is an AV integrator is experiential. We're creating an experience, whether that's subtle or dramatic. We're creating experience, whether that's a conference room that sounds great and everybody can hear each other, or whether it's the home theater system for a luxury home that envelops you and makes it like a, a theater, right? So we've always been about experience. What we haven't been about is really interfacing on that technical level in our little sanctuary called the trade show or our industry with the end users, i.e. nowadays the IT managers <laughs> or the creative engineering types who don't have that historical idea that we have in all of our hearts of, say, the hi-fi system with the components. You pick the best parts from the best stuff and make the best signal. That stuff is all pretty much gone now unless you're just going to be uh, uh, some kind of you know, extraordinary person i'm looking for a better word but i can't aesthetic extraordinary aesthetic but nobody wants that aesthetic at this point what they want is the experience of it to give it delivering them uh, content at the quality they want within the environment they want and we have to learn to adapt into the sense of we're going to create for you the best sound that may be just a couple of black boxes sorry lady i know we want less black boxes but that's what they are right We're, we're having to be able to say this is the room we need to be involved at the time that the architect is building it. I know this is a long-standing argument, right? Because architects don't want things on the walls. They don't want bumps. They want those aesthetics. I really come from the sense of, guys, let's, let's do the best aesthetic. Now, hang and bang, I hate as a business model. But if you're doing it right and your experience is I'm hanging at so your kids can climb my monkeys over it, because sometimes they do in a playroom, that's an experience because you're trusted and you've created an experience that that system will not fail. Right. I mean, and it's true. I mean, I can't tell you how many houses I've done where that's there's a 50 inch uh, LCD screen in the playroom. And right next to it are little ladders that the kids climb up and down. And of course, what are they going to hang on? They're going to hang on that thing. Right. Uh, but that's a side point. But one of the things in this article that really struck me was him saying, uh, quote, their IT managers are looking for bundle packages. This is something akin to us hearing for years, programmable without a programmer. And he even mentions that in the article. This is the world we're in. We want to protect those things because our experience is that's creative. It's tactile to us. We're building that, but we need to let go of that. There'll be a place for some of that, but man, a lot of it is not necessary. The technology is integrated. The technology is bundled together already. We need to make those things work the best and then upsell the experience of keeping it modern, of keeping it interactive, and keeping new versions of it or other rooms added. That's, that's, our, that's our role these days. We're not selling hi-fi gear and we're not selling the best vacuum tube amplifier. It just isn't going to happen. Yeah. 
All right. On uh, last story here uh, comes to us from our friends at AV Magazine and, and Clive. The largest, world's largest touchscreen video wall goes live. It's a 100 million pixel, two, 20 meter long uh, video wall. It's uh, powered by Displax, uh, D-I-S-P-L-A-X, ultra large touchscreens. Uh, Clive, I want to start with you on this. This is not um, just a... a gorgeous uh, piece of, of display. Uh, it's also an interactive uh, display and an interactive um, uh, digital signage, which is kind of what I, where I want to go with this. Where do we think the place for interactivity is in, in the world of digital signage today? Well, that, that's a loaded question. I really don't know. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I do apologize for the superlative. They make great headlines. It makes people read them. Oh. But, you know, there, there are a lot of these uh, sort of stories coming out at the moment with these super big amazing screen environments that are, are engaging people. I think it's there, so why not use it? You know, um, a, lot of, a lot of things are major. Interactivity with, with digital sign, it's like everything else. You need to use it like a scalpel. It's a, it's a tool that you need to use carefully. Not everything needs to be interactive, you know. And you need to, you need to strategically think which elements within, within the environment you're creating is, is interactive. It needs to fit into a good story. Um, a, 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 past, a customer journey and all that sort of stuff. So it's nothing, not everything needs to be interactive. And I think if you look at these sort of screens, they're designed to be almost town hall, front of house, um, massive reception, impactful. They could be in museums, information dissemination, various other things, where instead of individual, uh, in individual play, you've got a presence, other people taking part in what is a communal, a communal activity. You see it at eBay, don't you, where people popping in to see what's going on, multiple people playing. Now, the quality and what's, how that's delivered and the technology used has to get slicker and better and so on. So you're going to get some wow stuff in there and so on and everything else. But that, I think that's a different thing to interactivity generally for digital signage. That's a much more, if you're doing it right, especially I, I suppose I'm looking at it from a retail perspective, yeah. you, need, you need to have the whole process thought through properly so that only the key points that you need to have interactive are, are interactive, not. I'm speaking here as a journalist rather than an integrator myself, obviously. But I think it's a much more sophisticated story. The technology may be there, but you need to use it very carefully. George, uh, where do we see this? Clive mentioned retail. There are other verticals that we could see, you know, making sure that the interactivity is part of at least some of the design consideration uh, before deploying it, you know, you um in a in an install can you rephrase that question i didn't quite understand yeah, so it, it, clive mentioned retail are there other verticals like education or, hos okay. or hospitality where we can see interactivity being used as a scalpel as a tool in some of the design uh you know when when they're talking about the design and then you know further on down the road making sure that it gets in it's it, it interactivity gets made part of the actual install yeah, I mean, part of my concern about that is that we do interactivity and then we add it on like so many features that nobody wants sometimes. Um, you know, in certain, search, in certain, in certain worlds, look, there was the whole thing we saw a couple of years ago at uh, ISC where they had the ability to uh, give you maps and locations and track you and, and add those kind of features to interactivity. I'm here. How do I get to that store? Uh, I'm here. How do I do that? The article mentions from the, the manufacturer about collaboration with science and stuff. And I don't know if that seems to be an application of, hey, look, they can all talk to each other in the same room and pull up pictures. And I don't know, maybe I'm not a scientist and that kind of workflow should work for them, but it doesn't seem to me like that is. So what's the purpose of it? Does it contribute to the workflow and does it contribute to 
my experience in getting around a facility. Can I see my flight? Can I touch it? We have here in New York City touchscreens in the subway system. They've stood up remarkably. I'm quite impressed that they haven't been just completely kiboshed and vandalized, but they stand up. And they are helpful because I can find out the information I want. Right Now, it's not multi-touch, and I got a very limited, but that purpose is what it's for. And this is great. I mean, it goes, what, 20 meters, this thing? And then one of the videos shows somebody sprinting across it and how long it takes them to go across the entire length of this thing. And that's, that's wonderful. But that seems to me like a one-time use, the World's Fair, as it were, the Olympics, or some mega, maybe the Mall of America could use it because it's so big and that would be the same thing. But uh, remarkable technology, very interesting. But I think we sometimes overuse that frictionless, glossy touchscreen interface for, because we can. And as the old adage goes, should we? <laughs> Just because we can. All right, lady, uh, you'll have the final word on this. Where should we be putting interactivity uh, when it comes to displays? Well, I'm all for interactivity, um, but I think that, again, going back to the content, the content has to be robust enough to keep the attention span of whoever is interacting with it. But, um, you know, when you go to a retail environment, like Clive was saying, you're competing with something that's in your hand all the time. Everybody's face is down in their cell phone. So if I'm putting an investment into, you know, say I'm a financial institution or I'm a retail store and I want to get people's face off the screen of their phone and onto what I'm selling in my store, then I better have some compelling way of technology and content to get them to touch that screen and interact and get, you know, some viable screen time. Um, so I think in retail, it would be great if it was done right. Um, in the corporate environment, I think that if you're selling any kind of service and you have an interactive touch table where instead of, again, being on your cell phone and into your own little microcosm of a world, um, you can explore the different services that institution has. I think that's a win-win. But again, content is king there. Um, and, you know, the tough, the touch technology has to be spot on because my phone, the touch technology is great. The minute I go to a touch table and I don't have that same fluid experience, then I don't think I'm going to be touching that table again. Yeah. And then in higher education, I think that it could be a great group study tool where I'm throwing some content on that's, you know, my homework or my uh, thesis and I want some people to interact with that. Um, I think it would be great in the school environment. But again, you know, the cost has to come down. The technology cost for that interactiveness has to come down substantially to make it economical for university to do that widespread and not have a one-off room. So I'm all for interactivity as long as the technology cost is down and the content's wonderful. All right. And, then the, and the technology's spot on like a cell phone. Yeah, absolutely. That actually is a good, really, really good place to stop. Uh, thank you all so much. Mr. Clive Caldwell, uh, thank you, sir. Uh, how do people get a hold of you or AV Magazine? It's been a pleasure. Uh, Twitter, a at AVMag. Um, online, avinteractive.com. Um, it's probably the best two ways of doing it. Thank you so much. Right, sir, thank you. Ms. Lainey Materas from Sapphire. How do people get a hold of you or Sapphire Marketing? So uh, you can reach me at Sapphire Marketing at sapphiremarketing.com. I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm all over the place. So if you find my cell phone number, just uh, text me and I'll respond. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mr. Tucker, sir, thank you as always. Uh, how do we get a hold of you? 
Uh, thank you, sir. Good to talk with you guys again this week. Uh, so at Tucker Twos is my main portal on Twitter. Uh, keep an eye on that for some other stuff coming out, hopefully late summer, early fall, some more content and new things. Uh, hopefully we'll be even talking more. All righty. Uh, for me, for Tim, all right, don't uh, follow me on the Twitters, but go by the website if you would, <laughs> avnation.tv. That's avnation.tv. You'll find this program and a host of others. While you're there, please check out our supporters section. These are the folks who help us financially, help us bring you AV Week and Infocom coverage and in about two or three months' time, CDA coverage. Uh, so you, we thank them for their support. Uh, we also have a, a new uh, webinar coming up in about two or three weeks on uh, control systems, uh, automation, uh, and APIs. So check that out as well. All that and more at avianation.tv. That's avianation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. That is all the time we have for AV Week.